yes, yes. Welcome back to another episode of Honorable Evolution. My name is Marcel Tassala, and I'm thrilled today to be joined by my old friend Paul Schmitz to talk about, I don't know, what are we going to talk about today, Paul? <laughs> you tell me, Marcel. I'm excited um, to be with you. Yeah, yeah. So, so real quickly, Honorable Evolution is about celebrating folks who have dedicated their lives to the betterment of our global tribe, their communities, and, and health, any, any domain of health that you can think of. We're gonna try, I'm gonna try and cover here. And Paul, t- Paul is a past CEO of uh, Public Allies. And Paul, I want can you t- do uh, like a, a brief description of Public Allies? Sure. Yeah, I spent 21 years there. We, uh, Public Eyes is an organization that works in 25 cities across America to identify young people with a passion to make a difference and help them begin careers working for community and social change. They provide them paid full-time apprenticeships and nonprofits for a year, 43 weeks of leadership training. And I think to date, uh, they're up at about almost 10,000 graduates across the country, including our county executive in Milwaukee, three of our state reps, a school board member, lots of local nonprofit leaders. Uh, it's uh, just in this city, and that's the way it is in every city. So it's, it's been a great, and, and the main difference about Public Eyes is it focuses on leadership from the communities that are most served. So predominantly the, the leadership's coming from uh, low-income communities of color and, and other marginalized communities. Beautiful, thank you. And, and uh, um, Paul uh, is on the board of United Way of Greater Milwaukee and uh, uh, Playworks National Board. You also were a uh, social innovation advisor to the Obama White House, and you're on the transition team in 2008, and author of Everybody Leads, Building Leadership from the Community Up. And I also want to mention your organization right now, Leading Inside Out, which you do a lot of work in policy. So thank you for joining me today. My, my pleasure. Yeah. So, so uh, where are we at right now, right now in this country with this, this world of leadership? <laughs> As I've been working with groups, the, the big thing I think is that this moment calls on leaders to really be present in empathy. Mm. Um, I think there's nothing more important right now that we're dealing with people who are feeling a lot of anxiety and stress around what's happening. Yeah. We have... Um, and, and we are of, those people too. And we are those people too. And I think we have to be just generally thoughtful uh, uh, about how, um, how we engage with others. So I think that's first. Another key right now is just really being present and, and thoughtful around what it means to be anti-racist in this culture and, mm-hmm. and, and, and in your work. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as that work has evolved. And, and I see a lot of opportunity uh, for change happening in communities and in the country. And I think that, that a lot of leaders are, are having to wrestle much more uh, deeply. I think a lot of people have done surface work on issues of race and are having to go deeper. For those of us in the culture who are trying to be uh, 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 more inclusive, more equitable, Uh, to support greater justice. I think that it's a journey and it's a journey that's going to involve a lot of discomfort. It's going to involve making mistakes. I've certainly made a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, It involves learning and growing, but I think the main thing is you got to kind of stay on it 
Um, you've got to keep trying. You've got to be okay with the fact that you will screw up and sometimes you'll face consequences for that. Yeah. But the overall path remains the same. And I think it's wrestling with the reality of our history and the history that's created um, the conditions we have today yeah. and, and really being clear about that. I think people are getting clear and clear about what that history is because I think that's not the history we learned in school. Mm -hmm. um, I think the other thing is to really look at our own beliefs and practices and biases and how we often judge from our own experience and we treat our subjective experience as objective, which, which just doesn't work. And we have yeah. to be uh, careful and, and thoughtful about understanding where we are, are practicing that. And, and then I think it's for those of us who are leaders, who do we hire? Who do we bring around our tables? Who advises us? Who do we check in with? Who do we promote? Who do we advance? All of that comes into play. Um, and, and there's a lot of people who want to be allies, but you look at who they hire and who they put on their boards and everything else. And that doesn't speak to the values they say they espouse. Mm -hmm. And so I think you have to look at it at every level. I always talk about an equity lens, which is for those of us doing community work, looking at the issues in community, understanding the disparities and really organizing your work to make sure that you're actually uh, working to address this and, 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 re and, uh, the disparities in communities and then an equity mirror where we look at ourselves in the mirror and ask, how are we making sure that our own systems, our own practices, our own leadership is not biased. And how do we make sure that tables that where we make decisions are inclusive of the communities, uh, and reflect and represent the communities in which we're making decisions. Okay. Yeah. So, so if I'm someone who says listening to this and I'm thinking, well, what can I do? to do that? What can I literally do to be, a, yeah. to be a true ally? I think one is to educate yourself. I think there's a okay. lot of more resources now than there's ever been. And there's, there's a lot of resources out there to learn and again, engage and understand how we got to where we are and why this moment is not necessarily unique in its, its own evolution. Mm -hmm. I think the the second thing is to, to get involved in uh, volunteer work or organizations that are addressing these issues okay that put you in proximity and relationship with people different from yourself mm. and open yourself to the learning and open yourself to uh, the engagement but do it through a place of servant leadership not through a white savior thing don't go into communities wanting to volunteer so that you can post a picture on Facebook or go to a mm -hmm. protest so you can say on Instagram, I'm a protester. I mean, mm -hmm. like, don't make it about you. Okay. Uh, make yeah. it about others and make it, you know, we call it servant leadership, but come in with a notion. But I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is this white savior thing where they come into communities thinking I'm here to, to rescue you. And, mm -hmm. and I think it's better to come into communities and say, I'm here to partner with you. I'm here to, to be with you. I'm here to work with you not to view communities as places filled with problems and you're the solution, but recognize that you have problems too. Yeah. And there's a lot of people in poor parts of the community that you might consider are, have a lot of problems that also are assets and geniuses and brilliant and do cool shit. And so yeah. it's, it's not, not, not coming in with, I'm, I'm here to help you, mm -hmm. but, but recognizing you're also there to help yourself and that you're there to be a partner, not a, not a savior. Love it. Love it. Yeah.
Yeah, uh, such an important, important topic. I'm wondering too if in part of that is, hey, if you can't do that, maybe financially support some mm-hmm. places that are, are, are working at the systemic level of change. And you talked earlier about discomfort. I certainly give to organizations whose agendas push beyond kind of my comfort level. Uh, But I'm glad they're out there pushing. And I understand that if they push out there, it's a part of the process of democracy and important. And so I think it's if we only support the things that make us feel most comfortable, uh, we'll end up with the most tradition bound uh, organizations that aren't the ones that are going to produce long-term change. So you've yeah. got to be willing in both the groups you engage with and those you support to go a little bit maybe outside, but there's so many good groups. I mean, in, in our city, there's a lot of gr- amazing groups to support nationally. There's groups that mm-hmm. do incredible work on these topics. And so yeah. there's, there's a lot out there. Um, again, though, it keeps me hopeful and fueled in all of this and believing that we could create real change out of this environment is the fact that there's so much, uh, uh, we have so many of the right leaders in the right places right now for this work. Yeah. There's a, there's a party boat coming behind me right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's so, that's um, the fun of, of doing a podcast while on vacation. And yeah. it's okay because part of what I think leaders have to do is self care and balance. Yeah, and so right. the fact you're recording this in a place that has a party boat behind you uh, <laughs> says you're trying to maintain some type of balance and yeah. take care of yourself. And that's a good thing too. Yeah. Uh, and, and back to the discomfort. Uh, what about energy spent towards talking to folks on the other side of the aisle? Where do you, where, what do you think? Where, where, where are we at with that? And is that that's useful? That's a good question. I think it's become increasingly difficult. I worked on public policy for, for uh, 26, 27 now years. Mm-hmm. And when I think to uh, the first half of that journey, there was a lot more conversation that was easy to have where we found we had shared values and shared results, but different methods or strategies or orientations to it and so I found it very easy to work, uh, not with everyone. I mean, like Jesse Helms's office was not a friendly office mm-hmm. at any point, right? Mm-hmm. But there were certainly lots of people. Uh, I'm being more of a progressive on the other side that I could build. If I think back to the Bush administration, I'm friends to this day with a number of people from the Bush administration who I worked with on their domestic policy side yeah. who I thought were great and who, again, I think <laughs> we share similar values and mm-hmm. and 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 all that i think now uh we're in a very different situation and where uh ezra klein wrote this great book called why we're polarized it explains it more than than any other resource i know okay uh but what we know is that in the past people had more of an ideology and chose uh, political parties or leaders based on how well they fit with their ideology. Now people have identity and they pick the party which fits their identity. And what we have is we have identity politics all around. Mm-hmm. And so if I believe that a diverse society is a better society and I'm comfortable in a multiracial democracy and I believe that wealth inequality is, is not great, I'm going to end up on one side of that equation. If I'm scared of diversity, if I uh, am am not 
uh, comfortable in a more multiracial democracy, if I'm uh, concerned about shifts in power, uh, I, or if I'm, you know, uh, my my religious beliefs are, are are very conservative, and 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 then I'm going to end up on the other side of that divide. Mm -hmm. And, and the challenge is where, you know, if you look that policy has been very jagged and we can look and I could give you a bunch of examples where, for example, President Trump's policies don't align at all with historically for the past century what the Republican Party ideology has yeah. been. Yeah. I mean, he's not free market. He's not free trade. He's spent money wildly beyond what any president in history has spent. Oh, really? Yes. On, on the golf trips or on? Actual no, no. I mean, just the budgets, <laughs> just even joking. before, even before yeah. now. And then you add to that the golf trips and everything else. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and so it just doesn't align at all with ideology. And that's why you mm -hmm. see so many conservative intellectuals from George Will to the people at the Bulwark and, and, and the National Review and others who are more kind of from the intellectual wing who had more ideology they don't know where they are. A lot of the Bush officials are out of, uh, are not supporting him. Uh, you know, you see that it, it, so to me, the concern is, I'm always happy and, and believe in, in, in knitting that together. But uh, there's this idea that we're asymmetrically polarized, that uh, Democrats have moved somewhat to the left of where they've been, but not that far. And let's be clear, Joe Biden is not uh, the, the party chose Joe Biden, not uh, Bernie Sanders, and it chose Hillary Clinton. I mean, the party is still mostly a center-left mm -hmm. party mm -hmm. uh, with a stronger left edge than it had 20 years ago. Yeah. The conservative party has become a farther right party where the center-right is the marginalized piece. We're still in the Democratic Party. The far left is still more marginalized than the center. And so you've got asymmetrical polarization. I think those people who are conservative, I have no problem communicating with and building uh, alliance with. Mm -hmm. I think those people who are more aligned with a Republican identity that is aligns itself with, with Trumpism as it's kind of understood, I, I don't see where the building is because mm. fundamental to my beliefs is that we have to create a, a more equitable society mm -hmm. and uh, their core ideology as opposed to any notions of, of racial or economic equity. And so that there's nothing I can do there. Whereas a conservative, we might disagree more on the economic side, but on the mm. racial equity side, we're probably going to have more in common. Yeah. Okay. So, so um, yeah, so, so I'm hearing put, put your energy towards where it's going to do the most good. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've, I've worked to have more conversations with some neighbors and folks in my life who um, are on the other side and let myself get uncomfortable, but I don't know how much good that, that I think it might, I could, that same amount of energy, you know, measurement, energy, human energy and ATP and what we metabolize is probably better used in, uh, in, in some of the other, other ways you talked about earlier. People grow and change, so I never want to give up on the notion that people can grow and change. Mm -hmm. And I, I worry sometimes in our culture that we've become more binary, especially, mm -hmm. I think it's mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the challenges in the progressive community is then uh, that there's been this notion of being woke or not, and it mm -hmm. becomes a pass-fail versus a grade. 
Mm-hmm. And I kind of prefer a great. Yeah. <laughs> I think that yeah. people are still waking. Yeah. We have to have room for the waking among the woke. Yeah. And sometimes it's like, you know, there's this backlash against people for mistakes who uh, their intent is, is, is their, you know, intent and impact can be different, but their intent certainly wasn't based on some view of wanting to cause harm or wanting to do things. Yeah. And they're open to learning and growth. And I think, mm-hmm. again, that doesn't mean they don't face consequences for actions or, or choices, but it means that we still acknowledge that they're on a journey and we allow them to take that journey. And so I think sometimes it can be a little bit too, I, I would rather find out that I got to see and need to do better than that I failed. And I think sometimes people uh, in the progressive movement on issues mm-hmm. kind of take an all or nothing mm-hmm. approach. And I think that's why, I think yeah. that's why the party still is a center left party on the democratic side is because I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with this notion of it, like being yeah. an absolute, yeah, and and recognize there's a lot of fallibility all around. Um, no one's we all make mistakes, and mm-hmm. none of us are perfect. And I know progressive leaders who've gotten in power and done really stupid and dumb things, and 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 therefore, you know, like we can't treat. You know, I I don't I just don't believe that you can judge anybody on a standard of of perfection mm-hmm. in any place, right? So. Uh, we're all learning and growing yeah. and creating space for that. And, and this new this new uh, arena of living as humans, we're still really figuring out this technology, this social media, and uh, and it's really it's it's kind of created this kind of drive by culture where you know, you know, it's it's there forever, and it's got to yeah. be right. I mean, I think that social media is a reflection of society, but it also accelerates certain aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think it's like any better or worse than the society is generally. Mm-hmm. I just think it makes it more explicit. Yeah. And it sometimes acts quickly. So you have people bandwagon around a critique because I think sometimes it accelerates unhealthy yeah. perspectives. And I, 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 when I was a CEO of an organization and my organization was nonpartisan and I was, I was careful, but sometimes would get heated in my responses to things. Um, but my board had a discussion, but I was actually a board member who had been a, a, a part of the Bush administration who set a standard I really liked. And he said that he said, as a citizen, you should fully engage in the public dialogue, but you should do try to do so in ways that, uh, that improve and don't, in the public conversation. Hmm. And I've always, I've, I've done a lot of times, I can be snarky like everybody else, but I try and limit the snark and I try to remember that standard um, uh, uh, of, you know, am I, am I in some way coarsening or improving? And sometimes, you know what, hmm. sometimes I make the choice, I'm just going to go yeah. all in. I think at the same time, I think we can try to, um, act in ways that 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 are more supportive of solutions versus supportive of divisions i'm hopeful that the acceleration of social media in our culture allows for more of and that's just you know respecting of differences and still you know um, allowing allowing and uh, the differences seeing differences and respecting the person as, as as more than just that difference that we're seeing i think there's a difference between someone who intends harm mm-hmm and someone who uh, 
whose intentions, uh, again, whose intentions may be good, but whose impacts aren't. That's where when I think of, of, of when I worked in public policy, the conservatives I became close with or enjoyed debating with or discussing with is that usually we were debating over the right way to solve a problem. We weren't debating about whether the problem existed. Ah, and okay. often the conservatives I got along with best, we agreed in principle like they, they certainly wanted less poverty and they wanted mm -hmm. less pain and they wanted less hunger and they wanted more people to have homes and they, uh, all of that and they wanted fewer evictions. They wanted all of those things, but they, yeah. agree, they thought there was a different or better way to do that. So um, could you talk a little bit as we wind down here just about how uh, folks can consider themselves leaders? So, so in my work in, in, in doing leadership development and in the book that I wrote and in and, and, and all the work I've done subsequently, mm -hmm. my definition of leadership rests on kind of a simple concept in three three pieces. The, okay. the concept is that leadership is a muscle. And like every other muscle in our body, it only gets stronger with exercise and practice. But the important thing is everyone has the muscle. Mm -hmm. Everyone has it. And so the goal of any organization is how do you build leadership muscle among lots of people? Everyone's got it. Yeah. And we can see through history that you know, when you hear that phrase that ordinary people have done extraordinary things, it's because throughout our history, there's lots of examples of people you would not expect to be leaders stepping up and doing amazing and brilliant things. Yeah. The definition of leadership I use is based on three concepts. First, that leadership's an action everyone can do, not a position few people hold, that we think of the act of leading. Mm -hmm. The second is the essence of leadership, which is stepping up and uh, taking responsibility to solve a problem or to engage in creating a solution that no one can really be given leadership. It's that you step up and say, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to organize a committee to work on this issue, or I'm going to uh, take a stand on this, or I'm going to, but it's, it's, it's that notion. And ideally it's a, it's a collective thing. So it's, it's, it's take responsibility to work with others uh, to solve a problem together. Um, and that brings the third part of leadership, which is I think leadership's defined more by values than by skills. Okay. Because why people will work with you and believe in you to work together to create a solution is based on your values. Are you ethical? Are you inclusive? Mm -hmm. Do you listen to other points of view? Are you accountable? Um, do you hold yourself and others to the similar standards? Um, are you willing, do you, do, you, do you practice what you preach? All of those things. If you think about the leaders you'd most admire yeah. or the best boss you ever had versus the worst, it's, all, it's not about how technically smart they are, it's about values. And so leadership to me is an action. It's an act of responsibility where you step up and own a result and decide, I'll do what it takes to make that happen. And that you practice values that make it possible for others to work with you in partnership to make that happen, often in co-leadership, um, that we look at the, the, the great changes in history, it's always networks of leaders. It's not a leader with followers. Mm -hmm. It's a network of leaders that makes that possible. Yeah, love it. So, so it's not just uh, one hero who shows up and saves the day, no, is what you're suggesting. No. And that's why, that's why my book's called Everyone Leads, is, is, is not the notion that everyone should be in charge at the same time, that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. But it's the notion that everyone has that muscle and everyone can step up in different ways to make things happen. 
one of the stories I often tell uh, when I'm giving speeches and presenting around the, uh, is, is I tell the story of the Montgomery bus boycott, uh, but I tell the story of it behind 16 people, including Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King. Okay. But I talk about her husband, Raymond. I talk about Edie Nixon, the head of the NAACP, who, uh, who she helped elect president and she became secretary and who helped lead the effort. I talk about the doers who raised money to sponsor Rosa Parks to go to the Highlander School where she was trained in nonviolent civil disobedience by her mentor, Satima Clark and Miles Horton. And I talk about Fred Gray, the young 24-year-old lawyer who became the lawyer who prosecuted the case. And I talk about uh, 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 Rufus Lewis, who create, was the transportation chair who organized a 350-car carpool that transported the entire community to school, mm -hmm. church, work, and shopping for 12 months yeah. uh, while they were uh, boycotting the buses. And I could go through all these stories to show that it wasn't a story of Martin Luther King's, you know, Rosa Parks sat down and Martin Luther King stood up. But Rosa Parks had been an activist for 12 years. It was the second time she was thrown off that bus by that bus driver. It wasn't the first time. Mm -hmm. uh, she was an activist for years in the community. And King was an unknown 26-year-old pastor there who got elected to leadership because he was new to town and everyone thought if he got run out of town, it would be okay. <laughs> he wasn't like, it was, it wasn't like the magic guy, right? Uh -huh. And uh, he was mentored by Baird Rustin and others in this Gandhian practice who, and, and so I tell the story through all those people to show how this one situation we often think of as a story of two heroic leaders is actually a story of a network of heroic yeah. leaders working together, disagreeing with each other, sometimes fighting with each other, but that together, and with mentors and advisors and supporters, they produce one of the greatest social changes in history. And we can look at any social change, we'll find a yeah. similar story. And so I, I tell that story to kind of help people see themselves within it, that like, who would I be in that, around that mm. circle? And to recognize it wasn't, you don't have to be the most courageous person the way Rosa Parks or the greatest genius like Dr. King. There were lots of different roles that leaders played mm -hmm. who stepped up to own responsibility to make their contribution to that ultimate result. And Love so it. lots of people can do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, I wonder if there's, there's something about our ingrained, and, and this is my subjective, I'm going to put as the objective here, just ingrained in us, though, as like kind of some mythical, you know, archetypal mm -hmm. stories of wanting oh, yeah. to, to have a savior. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, the other, the other story I always think of is the March on Washington. We always think of King's I Have a Dream speech. And, and I think that's the most misinstructed thing about how movements happen because people think it was like a concert and there were 14 speakers, you know, but they don't realize there were 14 speakers that day. He was the 13th. Yeah. yeah. That it wasn't even his march. It was the March for Jobs and Freedom organized by the Brotherhood Student Carporters Union. He was late to the game. Yeah. Six months before that, Time Magazine had declared him a relic of the 50s. He had failed in three campaigns in a row. And then Birmingham happened that spring. It was his first victory since 55. It would have been eight years since he had had a victory in a community. He, uh, he's the 13th speaker that day. Kennedy, had, they've canceled the National League baseball game at the park because they're worried about rioting. All hospitals have canceled surgery for the day because they're worried about all the injured people. The National Guard is sitting outside DC worried about riots. Kennedy has people on the power grid ready to shut down all power if the speeches get too incendiary. And right as King is going out, the gospel singer Mahalia Jackson had heard him speak in Detroit a few weeks earlier. We riffed on this idea of a dream. And she tells him, Martin, tell them about that dream. Wow. It was in his prepared remarks. 
And, and I say all that to say again, like, and, and the question is, was Baird Rustin's genius in organizing that got 200,000 people there from around the country? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so again, we look at these moments that are archetypal as these heroic moments. And when you look under them, what you find is a much deeper, broader story of leadership and collaboration yeah. and people of all backgrounds who, who are stepping up. And I think it's, it's all of those examples we have to look at. And again, I think for your listeners, it's how do you lead? You step up and take responsibility and make a difference where you are. It might be getting involved in the community might be getting involved in a protest it might be getting involved with an organization and finding ways to take responsibility in ways that help that organization join a committee chair a committee like step up and do it and and yeah. i think that find your find your so niche much. find your niche and 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 take take that courageous step be accountable because that's leader there's no leadership without accountability the moment you step up and take yeah. responsibility you're accountable for it but be yeah. willing to courageously take that step forward. And, mm. uh, um, and I think anyone can do that. And, and that's to me, I've seen so many uh, people do incredible things that one would never look at them when they entered yeah. the space and think they're going to do that. But they, and you're in my own stories probably fit that as well. And, and, and my experience being a recovering addict and, and, and the experiences I've had, no one looking at me in my late teens, early twenties would have been like, this guy is going to be an advisor to a U.S. president. Like that yeah. just wasn't. This guy's going to be on a podcast you know. one day. <laughs> right. I mean, it, right. Exactly. Um, except for, Sorry, they, I, I, they, I, I, they totally thought I would have been in the back. No, they would have thought I would have been in the back of the mail, you know, in the, the picture of me in the, in the post office. Um, or on the party bus going behind yeah. me. <laughs> but, but it's so much of, my experience has been seeing people take journeys and become something they didn't know they could be. Yeah. yeah. And my own life's that way. So many people I've known in my recovery experience have been that way. So many people in my leadership experience have been that way. Yeah. I met Barack Obama when he was a civil rights lawyer in Chicago. His wife worked with me, Michelle. And if you had told me that he would be president, uh, you know, within, 16, 15 years later, I would have laughed. I'd have been like, that dude? Um, and so it's just, I've been around enough people who've changed and grown and emerged and done things that no one could have ever imagined it. They might never, I, there's a lot of my life I couldn't have imagined if I was mm -hmm. drawing a map in 1993 of where I would hope I would be by 2020. Yeah. I don't think I could have imagined where I am now. And so I, I just believe so much is possible um, but it takes that, that belief, that stepping up, that collaboration it takes. And this is the other thing I'll say about leadership that is just core is to have confidence in what you bring and humility about what you don't. Mm. That the, the, the wow. great problem leaders have is either they don't mm. know what they bring, mm -hmm. which makes them feel, which makes them often act in defensive ways. Mm -hmm. Or they don't, they're not vulnerable at all, or they think they know it all. And I think for every leader, it's important to really own and know what you bring. What are you good at? What are the skills and gifts you have yeah. that you know you're good at, that you can contribute? And that when you're doing those things, you know you're good. And then you need to be clear about what is it I'm not good at? What is it yeah. I, I struggle with? And no, that's why I need to collaborate with other leaders because I don't have the whole package. I better have people on my team who are good at the things I'm not. Yeah. 
And if I can have both confidence in what I'm good at and humility about what I'm not, that's what allows me to be a leader who can really collaborate with others. I know what I can bring. I know what I need. Uh, and just because I know I suck at something doesn't mean I don't have to do it. It means I have to get better at it. I need to make sure my team knows I need help when I'm in that zone or need to be held more accountable yeah. or need more training or whatever it is or need tools. But like we have to hold both. So I think for every leader, it's like, know both of those things and it's okay that you have things you're not good at uh none of us have the whole package but be clear about what you bring and i think a lot of leaders have a hard time naming that too uh, of being clear about about what they have and that's okay you don't have to have the whole package you know no you know um no you know and and what this brings up for me is is this idea that of service of of being of service to others and and i think in general you know we're at our best when we're helping others and uh, mm-hmm. as humans. And I think that uh, I, I have high hopes. And that's why I think another job of us leaders is mentoring, supporting, mm. and getting mm-hmm. behind young leaders. And I spend yeah. a lot more of my time today, in, I spend a lot less time in front and a lot more time behind trying to be helpful, supportive, and encouraging of other leaders and younger leaders and more diverse leaders than myself. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, filled with gratitude for the work that you do and and also just just really um it feels feels good to 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 be around that hope because i can i can get really i can get in some some dark places with everything that i see and and uh, you and a few other of my my past guests have who i, I see as as uh really prominent leaders have, have have come at me with some hope and and that's uh that's very reassuring so thank you yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there's, uh, again, I think America, every time it's come on the brink of making great change, has pulled back. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, something feels different right now. Mm-hmm. And, and again, it's the rising generation's a big piece of that. But I, yeah. I think we're, um, I am more hopeful. It doesn't mean I'm optimistic. And there's a difference between yeah. those two ideas, right? And um reality and history makes me less optimistic but the forces in play make me hopeful that we might overcome uh the cha- the, the 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 things that have pulled us back in the past so it's 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 possible and and certainly i see my role right now as being supportive of those who i think can make that happen and 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 i'm happy to be uh, again in my case more behind the scenes than in front where i often was for most of my career Beautiful. Uh, lastly, could you um, throw out maybe one or two organizations folks could, um, if, if they're listening to this and they're thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm in step with this guy. I want to, I want to contribute 10 bucks. I want to contribute 10,000 bucks to an organization that's working at the systemic level. What are two that come, come to mind? Or, that, or more? That's, yeah. that's, that's really hard. And, and so, you know, uh, my my of course i would always mention public allies which which is doing great work in building leadership across the country and really building diverse leadership who hold a set of values about being inclusive and collaborative and accountable and ethical and i think that that building the kind of leaders we need uh, across the country i think that a group like policy link which is a great resource for uh thinking about what it means to create and support an equitable uh, country and equitable policy in our communities in the country. They're kind of a think tank 
an advocacy group that is kind of the backbone of all the social justice groups in the okay. country. I think in, in a city like Policy Milwaukee, Link. yeah, I think of groups like Urban Underground, which is a great youth organizing group and mm -hmm. uh, Lit Leaders Igniting Transformation, which is another great young organizing group. I, 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 I'm always attracted so to groups that are building. And, and again, if you look nationally, so many groups are doing things. I think of leaders like Brian Stevenson at the Equal Justice Initiative, who's just such an inspiration. Or I think of, of Sherilyn Eiffel at the NAACP uh, Legal Defense Fund. Okay. Or, I mean, I could go on and on. There's just yeah. there's a lot of great leadership out there and a lot of great people who are helping reshape the stories and the ways we think about ourselves. And, and again, are, are, are pointing to a future that, that to me is a lot more uh, joyful, a, a lot more uh, sustainable, and a lot more mm -hmm. just for all of us. And so I, that's a society I want to live in is one where we're not fighting, but one where we're all, uh, everyone can achieve their potential mm -hmm. and is not afraid of each other, but, but ready to work with each other. And, and there's a lot of people working for that. But we've got to dismantle a lot. We've got to build a lot to make that happen. All right. Thank you, Paul. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Paul Schmitz, laying it down. Before I get to some words about what hit me about our interaction, I want to just make a quick announcement that upcoming guests include Mavis Sai, who's a co-founder, co-creator of Functional Analytics Psychotherapy and also has created a international group called Awareness, Courage, and Love that is, is really aimed at helping us connect. You know, we're, we're uh, some of the, the loneliest people that have ever walked on the face of this earth right now, and, and she's really doing some beautiful things to combat that on a global scale. And also Lee Moon Wa, the creator, director of The Color of Fear documentary, which to me is, is the most powerful thing that I've ever seen that touches on our cultural and racial issues in this country. So I'm very, I'm really, I'm really excited about that. Paul painted a picture of how everyone leads. So let's all ask ourselves, do I lead out of empathy? That is, with the ability to understand and share the feelings of another? Or do I lead by acting out of self? That would mean I treat my subjective as the objective. Or put another way, do I see my perception as the Alpha and the Omega? He also talked about his recovery and the gifts that have come from those struggles. You know, from the oyster comes the pearl. Though that journey from oyster to pearl takes work, which for most of us means receiving help, aka being led, so that we can have confidence about what we bring and humility about what we don't. <laughs>